As Jeff said, my name's Andy. I'm married to Katie. I've got a little boy and a dog that's big, yellow, and fluffy. And um, yeah, I'm on the team here. So I'm a curate, uh, which means I'm uh, basically a clergy person, which is quite fun. Um, and uh, I'm, I get the privilege to kick off this new series. We're in the summer holidays. Um, if you don't have kids or you're not in some sort of uh, academic institution, you might not have noticed. Um, but we are, and we, we're taking a bit of a different uh, sort of tack to normal. Each week, we're focusing on a, a different character in the Old Testament, in the Bible. Uh, so it's called Heroes of Faith. And I'm really excited. Today, we're going to be digging into Esther. So... Um, I don't know about you guys, if you had any heroes growing up. Does any, did anybody have sort of somebody that they really like, just like loved? My hero was somebody called Captain Scarlet. Does anybody know who Captain Scarlet is? You're either not cool enough or not old enough to know. That's, that's, that's it. Um, Captain Scarlet was indestructible, is, is, what it, is what happened to Captain Scarlet. He was a puppet. It was a bit like Thunderbirds. Um, and I loved Captain Scarlet. He was my hero. He basically, he, he fought off these aliens called the Mysterons. Um, and I had the whole suit. I wanted to be like Captain Scarlet. I had like this cap and red costume thing. I, I think I had like this gun that you could speak down it, and it changed your voice to be like the voice in, in Captain Scarlet. And anyway, I loved it. But he, his sort of secret thing, the thing that made him special as a hero, was that he would always come back if he died. He would always, he was invincible. There was nothing you could do to him that could stop him. And I, I kind of, I really loved him as I, as when I was growing up. But now when I look at him, I don't really see him in the same way. I just kind of think, well, he's not that brave, really, because it doesn't really matter. He's always going to come back. He has no, there's nothing at risk. There's no challenge. I actually kind of find it a little bit unrelatable. And sometimes I find that with heroes. I love the story, and the story's fine. But as a sort of personal hero, he's not really anymore. But what I love about Esther is that she is, she is a, a person who has led a really interesting, interesting life in a difficult environment and happens to be the person that saves the Jews in, 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 in this moment in time. And we'll get to the story in a bit, but she is a person who shows great courage. And if you've been in church before, you might have heard the story of Esther. And there's one line which is um, called, for such a time as this. And this mo- it's almost as if Esther had, she'd been going through all these difficult things in her life. And then there was this moment where she had to be the right person in the right place at the right time to make the right decision. And she did it courageously at her own risk. And I want to know tonight, for us, do we feel called to something? Does that word calling resonate with you? Over the last few weeks, we've been digging, we've been digging into a few different things, but I feel like God has been speaking to us about encouragement and calling. So Toby spoke on encouragement a couple of weeks ago, and then Archie spoke on calling last week and finding courage in our calling. And that courage in our calling is what I want to think about tonight. How do we have courage to do the right thing at the right time? And I know that some of you here might be thinking, well, I have no idea what my calling is. I've never even thought about calling. I just do things. Um, for others, you might be thinking, well, yeah, I've got, I know that this is a part of my calling, perhaps my career, or maybe my relationships, or my family, or the city that I live in, Bristol, the church that I'm a part of. 
Maybe you're thinking of all the challenges around you that you feel called to address, you know, poverty, homelessness. We, we were talking about social action, all the things that need to change in this city and in this nation, in this world. The environmental crisis, the, the health of the nation, racial justice, all of these things, these challenges that you might feel you feel are passionately a part of you, that you feel called to, be, uh, to work against or work towards. Well, where do we start with them? How do we know that they're the right thing in each of our lives to put our time to, to give our time to? And then how do we find courage in the moment when the moment comes? How do we go through with it? How do we do it? Well, I want to dig into this story in Esther. And there's three things that stand out to me within Esther. Those three things are identity, community, and sacrifice. And to make sure that I don't go on forever, I love to talk, but um, is we're going to focus on just one chapter. That's chapter four of Esther. And I'm going to sort of lay out the story, and, uh, I'm, and then we're going to read a, a short passage from 12 to 16. So if you want to get your Bibles or your phones, uh, go to Esther 4. Uh, if you're joining in online as well, uh, grab Esther 4 up. Why not? You can find it on Bible Gateway or something. And um, what I, what I love about Esther's story is it's not just a black and white story of a, of a good person that does a good thing and is good, the end. There is gray, there is difficulty, there's a complex situation where actually the outcome kind of has a bit of a strange taste when, if you read the whole book. And I'd recommend you do. It's 10 chapters. Um, you could do it in a sitting, and it's a wonderful read. So go for Esther 10. Go for it. Uh, go for Esther. It's, it's really fun. But Esther's story is a bit complicated, and I'm going to just lay it out before us now. So the story of Esther is set about 460, 490 years before Jesus, 486 to 465 BC, something like that. Um, and it was the age of empires that had overtaken Israel and Jerusalem. And the, uh, they, the Jews were living under the Persian Empire. Xerxes was the king. And he particularly um, was sort of quite, he was quite a nasty guy. And he particularly treated women badly. If anybody's seen The Handmaid's Tale, there's, there's elements of that within this. And Xerxes, in this story of Esther, deposes his wife, the Queen Vashti, for refusing to come into his presence and to be sort of basically objectified by the people. He, says to, he asks the Queen, come on in so that, the, so that the noblemen and the people can sort of gaze on her beauty. And she doesn't want to, and so he gets rid of her. And so he, so he needs a new Queen. And so he, he asks for sort of a harem of young, pretty girls to be brought to him that he can choose from. And now Esther is living in this, in the, in this time with her uncle, Mordecai, who adopts her and, says, and sort of raises her. And at this moment when she's probably a teenager, um, he, he says to her, he kind of says, hide your identity as a Jew so that you can be taken into the household. Of, of the king. And she does that. And she's chosen to be the new queen um, because she's pretty, effectively. It's not a black and white story. It's a bit gray. But Xerxes' most trusted nobleman, a guy called Haman, um, he starts to stir up trouble. And uh, he, he kind of gets people to, to give him adoration. And Mordecai, who is Esther's uncle slash father, adopted father, uh, or father who adopted her, um, 
He refuses to kneel before Haman. And Xerxes, um, the king, kind of, he, he doesn't know anything about it, but Haman decides he wants to kill Mordecai. And he wants to go further than that and kill all the people who Mordecai is, is, is from, the whole nation, the people of Israel, the Jews. He wants to kill them all. And so Haman waits, he bides his time, and then he uses the favor that he has with the king to enact a law that basically says we're going to kill all the Jews because they're a bit different. And he tells the king that they won't listen to you. They won't listen to you. They don't care about you. And so he he starts off a chain of events that will lead to the destruction of all the Jews. And this is where we find ourselves in chapter 4, where Esther has actually fallen from Xerxes' grace a little bit. It's been a long time since she's been in his presence. It's not like sort of sovereign, sort of kings and queens you see today where the sort of queen is kind of elevated and we kind of imagine that they're in love and things like that. Um, she was effectively Xerxes' property. Um, she, was, uh, she, was, she was a queen, so she had some influence, but actually only at the request of and only at the permission of Xerxes. So I'm going to read chapter 4, verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther is aware that in going to the king, she is putting her life at risk. But she knows the weight of the nation is almost, it's kind of on her. She can feel that if something doesn't happen, if someone doesn't intervene, if somebody doesn't change what's in motion, then all of her people will die. I mean, we've all been there, right? No, probably not. You've, never, you've probably never been in a position where you, you're going to stop genocide. Um, but maybe, maybe you've had a really tough Thing in your life, something that, we, that you're wrestling with, that actually you can't tell whether it's the right thing. And actually, you're stuck maybe between a rock and a hard place. And if you do this, if you leave this job and go for this job, then that risks this, and it risks financial security. But actually, it feels like it's the right thing. So what do I do? Or maybe you're in a situation where you've got a relationship that you know just isn't right, but it's very comfortable and familiar, and you've, you've, maybe you've got to end that relationship. Or maybe you've got a friendship that you're like, actually, they're just bad news for me. I need to think differently about them. Whatever it is that's going on, we so often can be in places of real difficulty in our lives, and particularly around those things that I talked about in our calling, those things that are, that are tough, those things that are not black and white. They're a little bit gray, but yet you know that God is in them. So how is it that Esther makes these courageous decisions and goes through with it and saves the Jews? Well, I think 
the first key to it is in verse 14. And this is that topic of identity. In verse 14, it says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. Mordecai, her adopted father, he reminds her that this actually isn't all about Esther. God is the one who will do it. He is the one who is sovereign. He will bring about salvation for the Jews. He will bring about the, the, the safety of his people in this situation. And if Esther doesn't step up, doesn't make, doesn't make that risk, then actually God will still do it. And it kind of sounds a little bit like, oh, well, that kind of makes it sound like, oh, Esther's not needed. But actually, I think this is an amazing point of grace for Esther. It's saying it doesn't matter what happens. God is in control. And for us, with our calling, with everything that we have, if we know our identity in Jesus, if we know who we are, if we know that God is the one who's going to do it, then actually it makes the weight of calling seem a little bit less. It seems a little bit less difficult. There's some amazing heroes in popular culture who figure out their identity. Esther hears that she is a Jew and that God will do it. There is grace there. Thor has to find out that he is the son of thunder. Well, not son of thunder. He's God of thunder. Son of thunder is in the Bible. Um, he's God of thunder. Um, and when he takes on that sort of worthiness that he has, the responsibility, then he gets this amazing power of lightning and hammers and things. Um, Moana. Has anybody seen Moana? Amazing. Disney. Come on. Let's sing it. No, let's not sing it. Um, but Moana, she has to understand who she is. She's the daughter of the village chief. And actually, the yearning that was in her heart to go and explore is actually part of her identity. That's who she is. And when she knows her identity, she gets to live out her calling because she knows who she is. Does anybody remember The Matrix? Where Neo, I watched it the other day, so I thought I'd throw it in there for anybody who's older than Moana, um, Moana timings. Um, Neo in The Matrix is the chosen one. When he understands that he's the chosen one, he can like, spend time and space and dodge bullets and things like that. And when he knows who he is, then he can live out his calling. I know for me personally, um, you know, I feel called to the church. I feel called to be a vicar in the Church of England, to be a pastor for people, to lead people in mission and evangelism. But if I think like, oh, that's all on me, then it's crushing to think that. It's, it's impossible. I think of all the challenges that face the church, that face this city, and I think, gosh, I am useless. I know what goes through my head. I know the things that I do. There's no way. But if I remind myself of who I am in Jesus, I remind myself that it's not about me. It's about who he is. Then my, my calling feels a lot less heavy. It feels a lot more enjoyable. In John 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus calls us friends. I'm not serving him as a slave or out of duty with this sort of calling hanging over me, this thing that I've got to do, and it's, oh, it's so awful. Actually, it's a joy because I know who I am in Christ. I know that he is my friend. He loves me. Know who you are 
in God. Put down the weight of the challenge before you even take it on. So find your identity. I think the second thing that Esther does so, so well, and we can take her lead in this, is she listens to community. In verse 14 at the end it says, And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai calls out the calling in Esther and says, have you, have you thought that maybe you're in a position to do this? You're in the right place for this moment. For us, when we're thinking about our calling, wouldn't it be helpful if we just had a friend or a trusted person who'd say, I see this in you. I see this calling. I see this passion. You know, I, I've seen you on the welcome team just being so, so welcoming and just meeting so many people. Maybe you've got a passion for like, hospitality. Maybe, maybe that's part of your calling. Or, I've, I've, you know, I've seen you in, down the pub and actually you really care for every single person at the table. Maybe, maybe you're a bit of a pastor for people, whatever it is. Maybe it's in your workplace, in your family. Um, if there's people you know who you could encourage in their calling, what would it look like if we as a church became a community that called out the calling in each other, encouraged each other in it, but challenged each other in it as well and spurred each other on? I love in, in Hebrews 10, uh, it says this in, in verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. As we encourage to do the good stuff, we spur one another on. We sort of, in, we sort of compel and, and poke and prod, I would say, so that we do the right thing at the right time. And in, in all of our sort of favorite hero stories, there is people who are encouragers, people who call out the calling in others. Uncle Ben called out Spider-Man's calling when he said, with great power comes great responsibility. I'm sure you all know the line. Um, when he, he's, he's saying to him, actually, you've got some potential. You've got some power. But with that power, you've got to do something great. You've got to be responsible. You've got to do it. And Uncle Ben didn't know it, but he, he didn't know what was going on in Spider-Man's life, um, in Peter Parker's life. Um, but that was something that spurred him on to, to be a superhero. Anna in Frozen, or Anna in Frozen if you're from Britain, um, she, 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 sort of, she helps Elsa figure out who she is. She's the one who says, well, I don't know what she says. I haven't seen it in a long time. But I remember that she's the person who, who kind of tempers Elsa and sort of allows her to be herself, this sort of snow queen, in a good way. And, and everyone loves Elsa, but Anna's the real hero. Anyway, I won't get into Frozen. Um, we can talk about that later. Um, and... So there's always someone who's an encourager. I remember there's an amazing film, Unbreakable, for all of you people who are older. You're in the Matrix sort of age as well. Unbreakable with Bruce Willis. And his son says to him, you could be a hero. He's unbreakable. He's a bit like Captain Scarlet. And he, he's, never, he's never lived it out. And his son calls him out. What would it look like if we had people who encouraged us in our calling? I remember for me, I was standing at the back of church um, a long time ago when I was discerning what's my calling, like, what am I called to? And I was thinking about being a vicar in the Church of England. And someone came up to me who, who I knew reasonably well. They were a good friend and they were at the church. And it was completely out of the blue. And she just came up to me and she said, 
you are going to be a vicar, aren't you? You are thinking of being a church leader. And, and I was like, yeah, actually, I'm exploring that. And you know what? The timing was amazing, but it took some real confidence and courage for her to come and say that and to call it out in me. And it affirmed me in my calling. And I can, I can remember that moment. And I just think, actually, that was amazing. What would it be if we all did that for each other? So find people who you trust and ask them, what do you see in me? What do you see? What calling do you see in my life? And encourage others, the good things that you see in them. Find community. And the third thing that we can see in Esther is the sacrifice that she is prepared to make. In verse 16, it says this, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther is prepared to lay down her life for others. She knows her identity is in God. It's not about her. She sees the need in front of her, and she has other people encouraging her in it, Mordecai. And she makes the decision that it's worth laying down her life for the sake of others. And it's not a big step for us to think, actually, we know the one who's laid down their life for us. Jesus gave himself for us. And it's not just sort of this kind of heroic notion. It is deeply impactful in our lives. If we know that truth, that we are forgiven, we are free, and we will live for eternity with him. John 15 says, Greater love has no, no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. In, in popular culture, we see so many examples of people giving it up for others. Iron Man does it. Wally does it. Hodor in Game of Thrones does it. And, you know, for us, we get to lay down all that we have for Jesus in response to what he's done for us. In Mark 8, uh, verse 34, it says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You know, it's so easy to say, Jesus costs nothing. Just come and receive Jesus and everything will be fine and everything will turn to gold and your life will be blessed forever and there'll be prosperity forever. But actually, we see in this passage and we see throughout scripture that Jesus' call is to come and die. Bonhoeffer, an amazing hero of mine, um, a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a, a German theologian uh, who stood up against the Nazis. He started the German Confessing Church um, who actually countered the, the church of the state, which affirmed what the Nazis were doing. And he was part of a rebellion plot, a plot to assassinate Hitler. Um, and he spoke of the cost of what it would lay down for all of us to be a disciple, to be a Christian. And the cost, he says, is, um, he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. 
come and die. And Bonhoeffer lived that out. He died in a concentration camp, I think about two or three weeks before he was about to be set free. And, but what this example, for all of us, it might be something different. I'm not saying that we all are going to die for our faith physically, but there are so many things that we have to lay down. And it might be for some of us that it's uh, our phones. Maybe, there's some, maybe, it's, uh, our, maybe it's actually that idol that we've put in our life, that career that we've made the biggest thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's actually, like I said earlier, some relationships that are just not right. But actually, what if it's everything? What if it's everything? And it might look different for every single person. But to lay down our life means every moment, every minute, every hour for Jesus. So when it comes to calling, when it comes to finding courage uh, in our calling, let's remember it's not about us. Jesus is the one who calls. He's the one who will do it. It's not about our skill or our, our sort of amazing abilities. If God calls us, he will make it happen. Let's listen to community. Let's ask community to encourage us. Let's challenge each other. And let's lay down our lives for others and for Jesus. You know, Esther was the right person at the right time doing the right thing with great courage, with all the challenges that are around us in the world, all the challenges in our own lives, but in this city, in this nation, in this world. Wouldn't it be amazing if we saw a church that, were, that knew its calling and had the courage to fulfill it, to live it out, each and every day, that knew its identity, that formed an amazing, encouraging, and challenging community, and that sacrificed what it had for others. I think that would be a church called for such a time as this. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this story. We thank you for this hero of the faith, Esther. And Jesus, we pray that we would follow in her example. Lord, we pray tonight that we would know you more. We would know who we are in you, our identity as sons and daughters of the King. And Jesus, I pray that you would send us encouragers to call out the calling in us. Lord, I pray that you would Help us to lay down what we have before you. Show us what it is that we need to lay down. Whatever we cling to, we give to you. Thank you, Lord.